0: Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. So today we are in Genesis chapter 9, which gives to us God's record of his post-deluge encouragement to Noah And the subsequent folly of Noah, the sin of one of his sons and God's pronouncement of judgment on his son for that sin. It also gives God's covenant that he makes with Noah and all that is entailed in that we will look at in just a moment. So let's look a little more deeply at Genesis chapter 9. So we come to verse 1 and it tells us that God blessed Noah and his sons. Obviously, he had spared them, which was a mercy in and of itself. But like Genesis 1, the command that he is giving to man comes in the form of a blessing. He blessed and says, be fruitful and multiply. And it's the same idea here. Verse 2 underlines the ongoing dominion of man over the creatures and creation. And verse 3 clarifies the right of man to eat meat. Many have argued that prior to this point in human history, man was vegetarian and there may be some truth to that because there comes this explicit statement with regard to his right to eat meat. Verse 4 brings a restriction in relation to blood. So while man can eat meat, there is certain significance to blood that makes it out of bounds or off limits. In verse 5 and 6, we get limitations on man's interaction with man. He is not to shed blood, at least unjustly. And because the image of God is stamped upon all of humanity, it, again, it puts a fence around how we can treat one another. Now, in that, of course, there is distinction between man and animals, so that the taking of the life of any other creature other than man is different than the taking of the life of a man. But the language is laying a foundation for civil government, that requires that if we wrongfully take the life of another, our lives also should be forfeited. Verses 8-17 through 17 detail the covenant. God is promising to Noah and his posterity that he will never again destroy the earth with water as he has done. The flood brought a new experience to man, namely, rain falling from the sky. But of course, this covenant is grounded in Jesus Christ. We never need to look at the sky when rain is falling and wonder, is God going to destroy the world with rain again? That's not going to happen. There will be no destruction of the world until every one of those for whom Christ died is gathered in, and then at the end, it will be all destroyed by fire. Verse 21 tells us that Noah gets drunk. It's a grievous sin. In fact, we are told that those who habitually get drunk will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is common today for people to mock those that abstain entirely from alcohol. but That mockery does not seem to take into account the very first mention of alcohol is in a negative light. Now, there are passages that aren't so negative. We, we understand that. But generally speaking, there is at least a measure of wisdom in those that say, not interested, not necessary. I'm going to maintain a discipline in my life that will prevent me from falling into at least one uh, very dangerous sin. And what people forget is that Satan loves to uh, put doors before men, decorate them, tell them that this, this is a wonderful opportunity, here is an option for you, walk through this door. And as we walk through that door, we will find on the other side how Satan will use it for our demise and destruction. Alcohol is one such example. Verse 22 brings a very challenging text as to what does it mean, the sin of Noah's son, Ham. Some understand this simply to be a breach of the fifth commandment. Others see it, of course, as an act of immorality performed by Ham on his father. But another option is to see that the uncovering of the nakedness of his father, that language is actually used by Moses in Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20. And what it means there is the nakedness of the father is actually the taking of the father's wife. And so that may be how it's meant to be understood. But again, it's just one of those challenging verses, but at the very least we see this is a distinct act of rebellion. Verse 26 reveals the prophecy of Canaan becoming the servant of Shem, a prophecy that would be fulfilled many centuries from this time. Verse 27 gives another prophecy and many have understood this or at least a number have understood this to be a prophecy perhaps of of the coming of Christ. So we've had Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Now we're being told something more in relation to that, that this is a distinct act of incarnation in which God dwelling in the tents or the tabernacle of Shem is going to take of Shem's seed and dwell there in order to redeem his people. So we come to some application. First of all, we see that God gives his word and ties it to covenant signs. This is always the way. This is why we never perform a baptism, never observe the Lord's table without the word of God first being preached, which communicates the promise upon which the sign depends. Secondly, I think we should learn again that in the command of being fruitful and multiplying, it is not giving us an allowance to enter into marriage and forsake this command. There may be some anomaly or strange circumstances that would permit a couple to enter into marriage with no intention of having children, but they must be very, very rare. And so there should be no selfish desire just to say, well, we both have our careers and we're not interested in children. That is sinful. At the same time, the command to be fruitful and multiply does not place this burden of just having as many children as is humanly possible. Thirdly, well, uh, let me just say to the children, because all men are made in the image of God, children, while that has its own application of, of how we care for one another, just because only man is made in the image of God doesn't mean to say that we get to destroy everything else. Parents will quickly step in and stop children from damaging property such as uh, plates and cups and uh, ornaments in the home. But the child then will go outside and and children, you may know if you've done this, you go outside and you just stamp all over the flowers, you you pull the, the heads off the flowers and you just destroy things. And parents sometimes watch this, don't say anything. And yet I think they should. Children, we should steward, we should take care. Now, we can take flowers and take a bunch of wild flowers and give them to mom as completely acceptable. But the unnecessary destruction of plants and flowers and stepping all over them and pulling the heads of flowers, I just don't think that's a God-honoring thing to do and should be forbidden. Fourthly, again another word to the children but to everyone as well, notice how Sham and Japheth do not engage in the sin of their brother. When we see someone do something wrong, we don't follow them in that sin. We stay away. We want nothing to do with it. Doesn't matter who it is, we don't follow people into sin. Fifthly, the fact that Noah gets off the ark and plants a vineyard would seem to indicate that he intended to stay put and in one particular location. Now, this has precedent, doesn't it? Because... Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden. Eden was not a movable entity. You couldn't just lift Eden and move it around. He was to stay in that location. When Adam gets off the, the ark, he plants a vineyard, which indicates his intention to stay within that location. Now, we live in a time, and I speak to young people particularly, where they have this nomadic desire to travel, endlessly travel. They delay education because of travel they delay marriage because of travel, and sometimes when they get married, they delay having children because of travel. This is very dangerous. We must be careful about the temptation to waste away or fritter away productive years with some desire to travel. In ideal scenarios, we we put deep roots down in a community and stay there over multiple generations. Finally, let me say that when the storms of life prevail... There is always a word from God. He is always communicating His mercy to His people. And so remember, if you are a child of God today and you're facing trials and storms and difficulties, there is a bow in that sky. You will find it in God's Word, His promises, that stand aloft amidst the dark sky of providence and they reassure you that God is your God. You are His child and he is taking care of you and walking with you through every season of life.